0: Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Byrd continues with his sermon series on the Book of Romans. And now, Pastor Bird,
1: Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word and your truth. Lord, we know that you gave it to us so that we could be guided by it. I just pray, Lord, that we put our hope and our trust and our confidence in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. As we approach Romans 10 in our continued study of this chapter, I'd like to preface it with some comments that I think that are appropriate and will also help us understand God's truth a little bit more in the statement that I'd like to make is, is that we, we currently are living in a culture that celebrates victimhood. We have whole societies or segments of societies, the society that is describing themselves as a victim. Now true, there are real victims. There's victims of crime. There's victims of theft. But we celebrate a different victimhood, unfortunately in our society today, is everybody puts themselves in segments of society and say, well, I I am a victim. Well, what is a victim? In that particular instance, a victim is somebody who says that they're not living up to their full potential because they have been denied access of what the majority of society benefits from something is being denied. And by their definition, this comes in the form of jobs, the access to credit, the access to education, the list goes on and on. We have a whole laundry list of people today who says that I am a victim. In other words, they're saying I've been oppressed because of a lack of opportunity. And while we have had or have examples of true victims. Unfortunately, now it's been carried to the extreme. In fact, I think you could make the argument that there's so many, quote, victims today that the victims might outnumber the offenders. Victimhood, if you really think about it, is used as a currency for power. and. As we live in that type of culture, I think it's important for us to understand that as believers, we are living in God's kingdom, and in living in God's kingdom, there are no victims. In fact, there's there's no victim in Christianity whether you accept it or you deny it. What do I mean by that? Christianity is based upon a universal call of the gospel. And since Christianity is based upon a universal call of the gospel, there is no one that can claim a disadvantage. There's no one can say that they need an exception. One either accepts or rejects that universal call of Christ. Which leads us to our focal chapter, Romans 10. I'm going to step back a little bit to verse 9, which I preached on last week. And let's look at 9 through 13. 9 through 13. It starts off with that very familiar verse that I mentioned last week. It's part of the Roman road, if you use that for an evangelism map on how to lead somebody to Christ. It's a very common verse. If you used the four spiritual laws, it's in there. If you use the Roman road, it's in there. And it reads, if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And as you look at those group of verses that I just read, I want to point out the universal call of salvation. And I'm going to do this by pointing to 11, 12, and 13. And you're going to see the universal call. Verse 11, whoever believes. Verse 12, no distinction. Verse 13, whoever calls. The call of Christ, it is outlined in these verses. The call of Christ is universal. Now, you may say to me, well, wait a minute, preacher. You just finished Romans 8 and 9 where you preached heavy on election that God chooses. So how can you preach on the universal call while you just finished preaching on Romans 8 and 9 on the election of God? My answer would be, I can, because you see both in Scripture. You see the universal call, and you see election all throughout Scripture. In fact, I remember early on as I was... Studying Reformed theology, there was a person that said, you see the universal call and you see the election all throughout Scripture and all of those are themes and they never cross one another. You have election and you have that theme, that doctrine of election, and then you have the universal call and you have that theme and they they never meet. And there's a reason for that. Universal call is all throughout the Bible. And in fact, when you look at Matthew 24, when Christ was addressing the end of times, in verse 14, it says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. There you have it. And in fact, I've used that verse before because people say, well, when's the end of times? I'll say, well, I know when the end of time is. It's when the last person that was supposed to accept the Lord Jesus Christ through His election accepts the Lord Jesus Christ, then then will come. His plan will be fulfilled. But you see, the cause universal. You also see it post-resurrection in Mark 16 as... Christ gives the great commission. It says in verse 15, And He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, one of the mistakes that I think that Reformed churches can make is that they just say, well, you know, whoever shows up is supposed to show up. Because God's going to save them anyway." But that's not what we've been told to do. We've been given a commission. And that commission is to go tell everyone about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we've been told to do. Because if you think about, Jesus told us to be salt and light, didn't he? He said that we, we are salt and light. Well, to be salt, you're the preserving agent. To be light, people accept the gospel. And whether people accept the gospel or not, you are at least salt. You are slowly preventing the decay of society by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're told to be universal. I've used this example so many times but I think it bears repeating in this circumstance. When I was a freshman and I went to college, I got assigned in my dorm room two of probably the worst people that you could be assigned to as roommates from a Christian standpoint. And I had made this stupid mistake that when I went to Baylor, it was gonna be like church camp. It was just gonna be wonderful. And you know, everybody loves Jesus and this is just gonna be a great thing. I found out really quick that wasn't the case, and I had one horrible, horrible roommate. Needless to say, us three only stayed in the room till October, six weeks. Didn't last too long. We were polar opposites in our worldview. And I remember making the statement that David would never ever come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ this person was horrible horrible caused a girl to have a nervous breakdown where she had to leave school he was not a nice person fast forward two years we were sitting there at church I look out there's David I said Man, this has got to be a girl. There's the only reason this guy's going to be at church, because there's a girl. Got to be a girl. And as he walks up towards me, and of course, I still wasn't very friendly towards David for the bad experience that I had with him being a roommate. And as he comes up to me, he looks at me and he goes, Monty, I gave my life to the Lord Jesus Christ this summer. He said, I'm a Christian. You could have just pushed me over. And then for the following months, I witnessed David in church living a remarkably different life. The point is, we can't tell who's going to accept Jesus Christ, can we? We can't. That's why the call's got to be universal. We don't pick, do we? Would anybody have picked the Apostle Paul pre-Christianity? Absolutely not. He persecuted the church. God saves the unsavable and that's why the call has to be universal. Because we don't know where the Spirit is going to act. Remember, I've been using the example of Jesus Christ describing salvation. And he goes, the wind blows where." it wants to so is the spirit we don't know so we have to be universal in the call this church should be universally calling those who do not know the lord jesus christ it's a universal call it's to everybody and as a quick caveat someone might say well how about those tribes in remote lands how about them? Is the call really universal? Does everybody get access? Well, look real quickly at Romans 1.18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man. Who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. It's a universal call. It's to everyone. No excuses. No one can say that they were hamstrung. No one can claim that they were disadvantaged. It's either accept or reject. He's either the cornerstone or he's the stumbling block. And as servants in his kingdom, we are to be about the universal call. I have a friend that describes churches that aren't mission-minded as the holy huddle. And while that may hurt, may step on some toes. It can be true, can't it? For we all come together, we all talk about how bad the world is, we all talk about the evilness of the world, but we don't do one thing about it in our evangelism. That's not how the church is designed. We're to be universally calling. And we're either salt or we're light. Because that's how God's designed the institution of the church. Is to have a universal call. Not only is this call universal, it's also without prejudice. Look at verse 12. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the Lord over all is rich to those who call upon Him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What Paul's dealing with here is is that for the Jews, there was a long-time prejudice against Gentiles. We had a really bad reputation, and we deserved it. If you look at Matthew 6, verse 31, Christ says, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all, these things the Gentiles seek. In other words, what Christ is saying is, is that pagan societies... If you think about this, there's Jews at that particular time and there's everybody else. And what Christ is saying is, is that pagan societies are obsessed with materialism. Still hasn't changed, right? And as we don't carry idols around anymore in our pocket or we don't have idols on a shelf in our home... But when you think about how society is, we've stripped away all of the coverings of idols, we're living in a humanistic society to which everybody says, I'm concerned about me. They really didn't worship the little thing of wood or marble or whatever they set on their mantle in their homes, they were worshiping what that little thing would give them. I'll never forget when Kathy and I here a couple of years ago went to Ephesus And fortunately, at Ephesus, when they dug all of this stuff up, they took all of the good stuff and put it in a museum where it wouldn't weather. And there, Diana was there as the goddess. And why did they worship her? She's a fertility goddess. What was she going to give and we always relate that to sex, right? When you talk about fertility, but that's not the right way to look at it. If you're a farmer or if you're a herdsman, what do you need? You need fertility. They were worshiping her because they wanted wealth. Where did you get wealth? You got it from your crops. You got it from your cattle. You got it from your sheep, whatever. And that's the world that we live in today. We live in a materialistic society. That's what we're known for. That's why Christ said, after, after all, these things the Gentiles seek. You see that view again in Acts chapter 10, verse 44 through 45. It says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as... Many came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles only. So they were looking at the Gentiles that were accepting Christ as their Lord and Savior and they're going, wow, how can that happen? We were known as being materialistic people, and if we were honest about the society that we live in today, it still applies that our society is consumed with self. We're consumed with self-fulfillment. And what Paul is saying here to the Romans, he goes, there's no difference. The gospel's available to all. There's no prejudice. Sometimes people will say, well, you know, preacher, when I get my life right, I'll go to church. That's backwards, right? That's backwards. You get your life right by being in church and by worshiping with the saints and by reading His Word and by praying and by allowing the Holy Spirit to work through you, that's how you get your life right. Getting your life right and then coming to church, that's just backwards. There's no distinction. There's a universal call. There's no prejudice. We're not looking at people and saying, well, when you get to the appropriate level of morality, then come to church. You want to see God move? Drop that prejudice. Drop that prejudice. To call people who you and be have a universal call where you, they may not look like you, act like you, live in the society or worship, or live with a friend group that you have. Invite them. Invite them. I'll never forget as a kid, we used to have testimony time in in our church where people would come to uh, knowledge of Christ and people would stand up and give their testimony. Man, I'll never forget this guy stood up and he did not look like the rest of the church. And he gave this incredible testimony. I still remember it. He gave this testimony. About how God had changed it. Then I sat there and as a young person it made an impression on me because then I visibly saw the changes that he was making in his life. How he was migrating from his old life. He was losing his old friends and he was gaining new friends. He was losing the lost. He was gaining the saved. He was in the fellowship of the saints because of the power of God working in his life, you want to see the power of God just lose the prejudice of judging people to say, well, it's not their time. Says who? Says who? The call of Christ is universal. It it does not have a prejudice tent. In fact, in that prejudiced view, Paul wrote the Ephesians in talking about the difference between the Jews and the Gentiles. In Ephesians 2 verse 14, it says, For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace that we might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, therefore putting to death the enmity. What he's saying is is that whether you're Jew or Greek, you come together. The commonality is Jesus Christ. And that's a sign of a healthy church. It's when we come together, our experience isn't that we went to a certain school or we go into certain circles or whatever our background. The beauty of the church is that regardless of education, regardless of financial status, regardless of age, we all come together and we worship one thing, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a healthy church. It is a sign that you and I, our belief together, is on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's our commonality. And of that He is rich to all. Lastly, there's no shame. There's no shame. What do I mean by that? If you look back at our focal passage, it says, For the Scripture says, whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame will not be put to shame. Verse 13, he goes on and says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What's that in reference to? It's in reference to the end of times. Picture this. Tomorrow, Christ comes back. Tomorrow, Christ comes back. Could happen, right? Could happen. Feels like it's getting closer every single day. As we look at the evil of the world in which we currently live. Just as I mentioned, there's always two groups in the Bible. Sheep and goats. Wheat and tares. Believers and unbelievers. And there's going to be two groups. As we see the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you look at Revelation 1, verse 7, it says, Behold, He is coming with clouds, and every eye will see Him, even they who pierced Him, and the tribes of the earth will mourn because of Him. Even so, amen. Every single eye is going to see the Lord Jesus Christ in His return. And the earth is going to mourn. Well, why are they going to mourn? Well, if you look at Revelation twenty twelve, it says, And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. My friend, there is going to be an audit of all of the lost and they will all stand before Him and they will all be paid according to their works. Now, can you imagine? Can you imagine all of humanity sitting there and all of your sins are on display for all of the world? You think there's some shame in that? As you stand before a holy and righteous God? As you look at his beauty, as you look at the as you look at God's kingdom, as you look at the power of God, and all of the things that you have done as a lost person are paraded out. And you are judged by a righteous and holy God. There's shame in that. Not so for the believer. Not so. Why? Because he took our shame, didn't he? He took our shame. He took our sin. That's not going to happen if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what it says here in Romans, in our focal passages, is as believers, there is no shame. As we put our faith in Christ, there is no shame. We're not going to be in the corner hiding. We're going to be at His feet praising Him. We're going to be transformed. We're going to be in our righteous state. We're going to be perfected. There's no worry in heaven. It says that He wipes away all of the tears. He wipes away all of the sorrow. There's no pain. There's no death. We worship Him. But for those that don't, they're going to stand before a holy and righteous God and they are going to have to give an account. But my friends, let me close with this. That universal call you can also see in Revelation 22, verse 16, the words of Jesus. He says, I, Jesus have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bride and morning star, and the spirit in the bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come, and let him who thirst come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. What is that? That's the universal call of Christ by himself. It should be our call as believers so that the lost world will know that they can have life because the Lord Jesus Christ says come. Join me in prayer. Father, we just thank you so much that in spite of ourselves, you've given us life. And I just pray if there's someone listening This morning. That they've not given their life to you. I pray Lord that they'd accept. This universal call of salvation. I pray Lord that they would. Repent of their sins. And that they would turn to you. And cling to you. And your teachings. And your truth. That they'd recognize Christ as Savior and Lord. I pray Lord that this church. That we might stand convicted to. Proclaim our truth to our neighborhood, to our city, to our world. That we would be convicted about the Great Commission. I pray, Lord, that we'd be known as a faithful witness. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash Church. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m., For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, millcreekchurch.org.